Radio UNE, the time is 7 o'clock, which means it's time for episode 13 of Way Back When. Let's kick things off with an Australian classic.
You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM, and that was Down Under by Men at Work, an Australian classic here to kick off episode 12 of Way Back When. Tonight, I'm going to be playing some of the best music from 1981. Down Under is a song recorded by Australian rock band Men at Work. It was the third single from their debut album, Business As Usual. I'll speak more about the band later on, but for now, a bit of background information on the song. As you can probably tell, it depicts an Australian man traveling the globe, meeting people who are interested in Australia, and it is actually not meant to be a nationalistic song. It's more about celebrating the country while also lamenting the overdevelopment and Americanization of the country. So it's more a, it's almost like a protest song at the direction the country was going at the time, which I think is quite interesting. It was, it's obviously one of Men at Work's most popular and endearing songs, especially in Australia, as you can imagine. And it was actually subject to a copyright lawsuit back in the early, well, the late noughties and early 2010s, where Larrikin Music sued Men at Work, alleging that part of the flute riff that you just heard was actually copied from the nursery rhyme, Kookaburra, you know, Kookaburra sits in the old gum tree and what have you. And they actually won. They judge ruled in favour of the plaintiffs, Larrikin Music, and they were awarded 5% of all future royalties of Down Under and 5% of all backdated royalties from 2002, which is actually kind of depressing. Um, so whatever your opinion is on the similarities there, that's just something interesting to know. But still, a very good song. Moving on, uh, we again, I'd like to say welcome to episode 12 of Way Back When. Thank you for, cho- for tuning in. I really appreciate it. 1981 was a pretty fantastic fantastic year for music. This is the first year I've actually had real trouble trying to eliminate songs because otherwise I would have just run out of time. I would have gone way too over time. So that's always fun when it happens. Of course, the 80s is a big favorite of mine in terms of musical periods. Disco is gone, that the remnants of disco are no more. We have exited the 70s. We are out of the disco phase and we are very much into the 80s rock and pop. So if you like that sort of thing, the next few weeks are going to be straight up your alley. The next song I'm going to play is a breakout song from a man you may know him, a punk act called Billy Idol, who was part of a band called Generation Generation X before exiting the band and going solo and from 1981 onwards he would have a solo career and absolutely break through with it he has had several incredible albums, incredible singles, he'll be featured on this um show quite a lot but for now I'm going to play the song that was actually released by both Generation X and Billy Idol solo he it was on the Kiss Me Deadly album from Generation X he would then release it on his uh, debut album in 1982 however it came out as a single in 1981 Billy Idol's first solo single Dancing With Myself coming up next on Way Back When episode 12 
listening to Way Back When, episode 12, and you just heard Dancing With Myself by Billy Idol, his first solo single track, and one of many massive hits to come for the punk rocker. I'm going to turn now to something a bit more pop and slightly country, as a matter of fact, and that is a song that was originally written in 1967 by Chip Taylor, and it has been covered numerous times, the most successful of which comes from 1981, obviously, by Juice Newton. I'm talking about Angel of the Morning. It's a love song, and it's a song that was very, very popular at the time. It shot to the top of many many charts and it was actually featured in the song Deadpool, It Chapter 2, The Meddler and a few other movies and TV shows across the way as well. It is a very popular song and it's quite a good song that shows off Juice Newton's capabilities. It came off her album Juice which was a multi-platinum breakthrough album for the country rock singer and her first major international success thanks in part to this particular song. It's a very very catchy tune so I'm going to play it for you right now on Way Back When episode 12. This is Angel of the Morning by Juice Newton.
You just heard Angel of the Morning by Country Rock Pop singer Juice Newton, and this is Way Back When, episode 12. I hope that you've been having an amazing night so far. I hope you've had a pleasant day, and I hope that you are enjoying the show so far. There's still a lot of music to come up. In fact, we're going to go with a bit of interesting UNE trivia first before I play the next song, and that is that 1981, late 1981, in fact, UNE would appoint a new Chancellor. Dr. Robert Clarence Robertson Cunningham, that is indeed his full name, he was the Deputy Chancellor for the previous 10 years and was elected to succeed Sir Frank Kiddo who retired as Chancellor the previous month of October. So that's uh, certainly a long way to wait as Deputy, but he finally got the crack at the top job. I'm going to move now to a song about unrequited love, something that I'm sure a lot of people are very familiar with, that particular theme and that particular feeling, and it's actually an Australian song. It was written and performed by Australian singer Rick Springfield off of the album Working Class Dog, who unfortunately, he didn't really have too, too much of a massively successful career compared to some other Australian artists, but he still had a few hit songs here and there, including this one, which was a massive, massive hit, Jessie's Girl. Jessie's Girl is actually slightly biograph- um, slightly autobiographical, excuse me. He said that he was, ri- he wrote it about 
his friend's girlfriend with names changed. It was pretty spot on um, accurate, which is quite unusual for a singer to just out and out admit something like that. It was fairly uh, fairly successful on the charts. It did climb to number one here in Australia, although it took quite some time to climb to number one in the US. It started on the 28th of March and it took 19 weeks to hit the number one spot, which is quite a long time to get all the way up there. So kudos to him for eventually making it. It's a very good song though. It's got a bit of pop and a bit of rock in there as well. And just the slightest dash of dance, if you can tell. Jesse's Girl by Rick Springfield coming up next on Way Back When, episode 12. You're listening to Tune FM here on 106.9. Jesse is a friend. Yeah, I know he's been a good friend of mine. But lately something's changed, it ain't hard to define. Jesse's got himself a girl and I want to make her mine. And she's watching him with those eyes And she's loving with that body, I just know it And he's holding her in his arms late, late at night
You just heard Jesse's Girl by Australian rock star Rick Springfield. This is Way Back When, episode 12, looking at the best music of 1981. You're listening to Tune FM on 106.9. I think I'm going to talk a little bit now about New Wave, because New Wave was a genre of music that really sprung to prominence in the late 70s and then exploded in the early 80s. The problem was, New Wave is quite a vague definition, and when you ask someone what exactly New Wave is, they more likely have a different answer to the person next to them. And that's because New Wave was essentially an umbrella term that encompassed all sorts of music music that came out in the 1980s. Virtually every new pop rock act, especially those that use synthesizers or unknown sounds, was just categorized as new wave. So that's why a lot of songs that may be considered new wave or tagged in the new wave genre will sound very, very different to one another. It can it encompass power pop, synth pop, revival, softer strains of punk, punk rock, pretty much anything that came out in the early 80s that had not been heard before, especially if it didn't follow a traditional sound, was labelled New Wave. So it's a bit, that's why you'll hear quite a lot of songs um, tonight and especially throughout the rest of the 80s that sound quite odd. They will be labelled as New Wave if you ever look them up yourself, but they may sound very, very different to each other and not just because it's different bands and whatnot, because the genre, the genre term New Wave can be incredibly um broad so that sort of that explains why it's a lot difficult to really sort of categorize what a new wave sound really is the reason i bring this up is because we're going to talk now about a song that was considered one of the breakthrough songs of the second british invasion of the u.s which was uh, referring to a lot of british bands that would come over and become exceptionally popular in the united states in the early 80s and this band was a big a big user of new wave music that is the synth pop group the human league and they would release their third album dare in 1981 which uh, was their most successful album, their breakthrough album, and included their best known and most commercially commercially successful song, Don't You Want Me. I'm sure many of you will have heard this song before. If not, you might recognise the lyrics when they start. It was the 1981 Christmas number one in the UK. It sold over 1.5 million copies, and it topped the US Billboard Hot 100, certainly a lot of... uh, awards there. Certainly a lot of accomplishments right there for the band. The Human League themselves would be fairly, fairly good. They would have a fairly decent career. They're still touring now, as a matter of fact, but this was definitely by far and away their best song. So I'm going to play it for you right now. On the way, all the way back from 1981, this is Don't You Want Me by The Human League on Way Back When, episode 12, the first of many New Wave songs, New Wave, he said in in air quotes, that you'll hear on this show. This is Tune FM 106.9. Shook you 
That was New Wave's song Don't You Want Me by synth pop new wave band The Human League. Don't worry if you didn't particularly like that song. There is a lot more new wave coming up in the next few weeks, and they all and it all sounds very different from itself. So there you go. And now I'm going to turn just back to a bit more power pop, just a straight poppy song with a lot of power behind it, and it's going to be a Pat Benatar song. And I, ch- I wanted to play this song tonight because it emphasizes a point that I haven't really made very well over the last few weeks. This song was actually released in 1980, and the album was off was released in 1980. And I can hear you saying, well, then, and ben, why are you playing it now in the 1981 episode? It's because the way our music system works, essentially, sometimes we can only get the music that is charted in, like, so even though this, the album and the song was released in 1980, it did not chart until 1981, and therefore our music system can't let us obtain it until then. So sometimes, yes, you will hear songs that may be off in terms of release by one year. That is only because it charted the following year. It was released late in the year and therefore didn't chart until the subsequent year. Sometimes that happens, so sometimes that's why why you'll hear a song that wasn't entirely or that wasn't even at all released in the correct year. So I apologize for that. Um, It is something I would prefer to avoid, but in some cases I just can't avoid it. So please bear with me. I do apologize and I will certainly bring it up if it ever does happen. But this song was released in 1980, but it is a nice, really, really good power pop song and it did quite well in the charts, especially over in America. So I'm going to play it and it's a very well-known song. Hit Me With Your Best Shot by Pat Benatar. Coming up next on Way Back When, episode 12, you're listening to 106.9 Tune FM.
You just heard Hit Me With Your Best Shot by Pat Benatar on 106.9 Tune FM. This is episode 12 of Way Back When, looking at the best music from 1981. Now it is time to return to the new wave scene. Uh, the new wave, of course, as I've said before, very, very loose term, very broad term. So it is new wave. Don't worry. It's just very uh, a very different style of new wave than Don't You Want Me, which you heard earlier. I'm now going to talk about the police. Yep, I know, it's as awkward as it sounds, but not that kind of police. The band The Police, the English rock band formed in London in 1977, that would actually feature Sting as the lead vocalist and the bass guitarist. The Police became popular in the late 70s and early 80s. In fact, they were only active from 77 to 84. Their biggest album and biggest hit came out in 1983, which I'll be playing that, uh, during that week. You can probably guess what that is now. But I bring them up because they want, uh, I bring them up um, rather than just going into the song because they won a number of music awards, including six Grammys. When I hear you thinking, well, yeah, they were successful, so what? Well, four out of their five studio albums they would release appeared on Rolling Stone's list of 500 greatest albums of all time. And now you're saying, okay, so they're very successful. So what? Play the song. Well, even though they were only active for seven years, technically uh, technically between seven and eight, depending on when, they, like, when you consider their official breakup date to be, even though they were only active for maximum eight years, they are one of the best-selling artists in the world. They sold more than 75 million records. They have sold more albums. They have more certified sales of albums than Barry Manilow, Aretha Franklin, and Kiss. Individually, of course, not combined. They managed to outsell those incredible acts, and yet they were only around for seven to eight years. It's quite remarkable. And the song I'm going to play is actually one of their more catchy tunes. And again, even though it's considered new wave, this is actually more traditionally described as a punk or post-punk track with a bit of reggae rock to it. So... Yes, now you see what I mean about New Wave being a very, very loose term. And according to Sting, this song, even though the words sound very simple, it's about the attraction that people have to simple songs, and he would criticise those who label the lyrics of the songs as nonsense or baby talk, and he would claim that the song is grossly misunderstood. So, now that you've heard that background, I will also point out that the song was actually supposedly made up by Sting's son, or at least the chorus line. Sting would rather amusingly say that he never paid his son for the royalty, so he's probably going to get sued at some point. This did a chart exceptionally well in Canada. It reached number one. Here in Australia, it made it up to number six, and it's quite a catchy tune. It will get stuck in your head for a while. I've, and I will admit, it's a very, di- it's a painful song for me with my little, with my speech troubles that I have from now and from time to time to say it, but I'll give it my best go and try not to stuff it up live on air. The Police, coming up next on Tune FM 106.9 on Way Back When, episode 12 with de do 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 da 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 I hope you enjoy
You just heard new wave reggae track by the police. Do 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 da 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 da. Here on Way Back When, episode 12, this is Tune FM 106.9. I turn now to a fairly new act in 1981, and I say new act because this is the first song that this particular person ever released. It was his uh, debut single, his debut off his debut solo album, and that is Phil Collins's album, of course. Phil Collins, famous as being a member of Genesis. He would then have an extremely successful excuse me, solo career. He is actually another one of the world's best-selling artists. Remember how I said that, um, that, remember how I said that the police were one of the best-selling artists of all time? They had nothing on Phil Collins. Phil Collins has sold over 100, uh, just wait here, 150 million records worldwide, claimed over 150 million records worldwide, which is absolutely incredible. He is one of the best-selling artists of all time. He obviously has sold more than Aretha Franklin Kiss or Barry Manilow. And this song, like I said, was his debut solo single and is actually considered to be one of his signature songs, if not his biggest song of all time. The drum break that you're going to hear at the end of the song has been described as one of the most melodramatic drum breaks in history, and it is ranked number 35 on VH1's 100 Greatest Songs of the 80s. It is... In the Air Tonight, an absolutely incredible song that I think you're really going to like. All the way back from 1981, this is episode 12 of Way Back When, In the Air Tonight by Phil Collins, coming up next on the home of UNE Student Powered Radio. Oh, no. 
That was In the Air Tonight by Phil Collins here on Way Back When, episode 12. This is 106.9 Tune FM. I didn't speak too much about Phil Collins as a person because he will appear on this uh, show again repeatedly in the future weeks to come, so I don't want to give everything away just yet. I move now, however, from a song by an artist who was just breaking out onto his own, sort of his career starting to take off, to a band who sadly would break up, well, not necessarily break up, but cease all activity after this particular year. I am, of course, referring to ABBA, the Swedish pop superstars who have been on this show many, many times. I think they are one of the most uh, most played artists on the show up until this point is ABBA. They have had several, several famous hits, as you will have heard if you listened to this show before, if you've heard any of the um, shows before this one. But sadly, in 1981, they would release their eighth and final album, The Visitors. The Visitors would uh, be considered one of a more mature and complex uh, effort compared to their previous albums, as it was less light than compared to previous music they had done. But it would be the very final um, album they would release. It got huge reviews, very, very high reviews, and inc- all songs were incredible as always. That's just That was just sort of ABBA's style. Sadly, however, they would, they would stop touring afterwards. Um, Essentially, tensions were heightened during the recording of this album. Both married couples, Bjorn Avaeus and Agnita Folzgog, and Benny Anderson and Annie Frid, Link's dad had broken up, they had divorced, which added strain to the partnership, and they noted that the sessions writing and recording this album were quite frosty, and they were beginning to tire of working together. When this album was released, even though nothing was officially said about a breakup, all of them would go on to do other projects, solo projects and whatnot, and as a matter of fact, after their final performance together in 1983, they would not be publicly seen on stage together until the Swedish premiere of the film Mamma Mia in 2008, or the Swedish, the premiere of the 
uh, musical Mamma Mia in 2008, which is rather incredible. So a rather sad end for a band that never really sort of announced a breakup. They just stopped producing music. But that being said, I'm going to play one more time a fantastic song from ABBA because they really do deserve to get one more song played. They've been such a mainstay of this show. But sadly, this is the last time you're going to hear them. They are a fantastic band. And no matter what happens now in the future or no matter what happens in regards to the four individual members, ABBA themselves will remain a fantastic band when all is said and done. inside 
you just heard When All Is Said and Done by ABBA on Way Back When, episode 12, here on 106.9 Tune FM. And yes, that was ABBA's final appearance on this show, their uh, single from their final album they would ever release, The Visitors, which is kind of sad. It's always sad to see a band or an artist stop producing content, whether they break up or they retire or they pass away. But in ABBA's case, they just decided to stop producing music. There was never a big fight, never a big split. They just dissolved, and that was that. Moving now to a fantastic uh, band, uh, well, from one fantastic band to another, but a different genre, we're going to turn back to Queen, who would release their album The Game in 1981, which or 1980 to be more specific, which would actually receive, again, fairly mixed reviews. And in retrospect, Brian May has gone on record as saying that he understood why critics would give this album such a mixed review because it was quite a departure from their normal sound. Now, this album, The Game, had two very, very good songs on it, one being Crazy Little Thing Called Love, which missed out on being played tonight by the skin of its teeth. The other one, which I am going to play right now, is another one bites the dust which was actually written by bassist John Deacon. It was actually written by uh, John Deacon, which was quite unusual for Queen at the time. The song would be a worldwide hit. It charted at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 for three weeks. It spent 15 weeks in the Billboard Top 10. It did exceptionally well. It charted well in Australia as well. And interestingly enough, it's actually got use in medical training. It was used in a study to train medical professionals to provide the correct amount of chest compressions while performing CPR, as the baseline has close to 110 beats per minute, and 100 to 120 chest compressions per minute are recommended during CPR. So that's a little bit of interesting trivia there for you. John Deacon would come up with the original uh, loop, the original loop sound, and Brian and Roger wouldn't, uh, Brian May and Roger Taylor wouldn't really be too, too keen on it, and then he played it, and Freddie became incredibly enthusiastic, started writing the lyrics, writing more music, and it took off. It was a massive, massive hit. It actually went from being a million seller to being a three million seller in a matter of three weeks, according to Brian May, of course. And it actually won the award for favorite pop or rock single from... Uh, at the American Music Awards of that year and got Queen a Grammy nomination. So, very, very good song. A very, very catchy little beat. I hope that you enjoy it. Another One Bites the Dust by Queen coming up next on Way Back When, episode 12. Another one bites the dust And another one gone and 
Another one bust the dust. Ow! Another one bust the dust. Hey, hey! Another one bust the dust. You just heard the incredibly catchy Another One Bites the Dust by Queen. This is episode 12 of Way Back When. This is Tune FM on 106.9. Coming up next, I'm going to go back to another Australian artist who you actually heard at the very start of this show, Men at Work. Now, Down Under was off their album Business As Usual, their debut album, released in 1981 alongside this song, Who Can It Be Now? Of course, that's the rather massive hit, and considering it was was on the same album, it seemed very appropriate to play. Men at Work are actually still active today, kind of. They were formed in 1979. They were an Australian rock band, which is always good, formed in Victoria. Also got the label of New Wave, although they included pop, rock, and reggae rock in their sound. So there you go, New Wave. They're that just more proof that that term is almost overused in a sense. But the original uh, lineup of the band would only be active from 79 until 1986. They would break up again. Uh, several members would leave. Unfortunately, a few members died. And then they would reunite again in 1996, break up a few years later. Another member would die. And then in 2019, the original founding member, Colin Hay, would revive the band name and begin touring as men at work with a backing band. So in a way, they still carry on. But their big hits were of this album, Who Can It Be Now and Down Under, were their two biggest hits. They would have other albums that would come out in later years. Not too sure if they'll feature on the show or not. We'll soon see. But Who Can It Be Now is a very, very catchy song. It incorporates sax music, which is always incredible. Love some sax music. And the the inspiration for the lyrics are actually quite interesting. It was... Uh, Colin Hay, the founding member of the band, was living in an apartment complex down in St Kilda and he lived next to drug dealers. Now the problem with that was people would confuse his apartment for the drug dealer's apartment and he said the number of people that would knock on his door actually unnerved and scared him to the point where he was too freaked out to open the door regardless of who was there and that sort of stuck in his head and that's where the lyrics came from which I just think is a fascinating story. So... It's a very, very catchy little song. Again, the saxophone, you may uh, remember, it sounds very, very similar. Or not similar, but it's got a similar sort of style to Careless Whisper in that a saxophone leads into the uh, vocals and the rest of the beat. It's a very, very catchy song. I hope that you enjoy it. Who Can It Be Now by Men at Work coming up next on 106.9 Tune FM.
future that I can see It's just my fantasy listening to way back when episode 12 and that was the australian hit who can it be now by men at work now i said to you earlier before that une received a new chancellor in 1981 however there was a rather interesting little feud that also occurred in 1981 here at une i'm going to tell you this because i find it absolutely hilarious pro vice chancellor of une professor john dillon at the time note the pro vice chancellor is different from the vice chancellor would extraordinarily accuse the university of sydney of using quote dirty tricks and hard cells to win student enrolment numbers. Professor Dillon would claim that a, quote, Department of Dirty Tricks was secretly funded out of the Vice-Chancellor of University of Sydney's entertainment allowance and operated out of an unmarked and hidden building on the campus. He would also claim that the University of Sydney was, pre- was printing fake maps that showed Armadale located to the west of Broken Hill, designed to portray UNE as located out in the middle of nowhere. Obviously, Broken Hill is right near the outback and near the border of South Australia. Now, this was just one of many incredible accusations that the professor would label University of Sydney as guilty of committing. I was unable to locate any of these fake maps for myself, so I can't say if that's true or not, but I can say that all of his claims he never backs down from. He appeared to continue um, to reinforce them, which I just find hilarious. I did not think that at any point, looking back at some interesting UNE facts, I would discover the pro-vice-chancellor, one of the highest positions at the university, accusing another university of operating a quote, Department of Dirty Tricks out of their campus to try and get higher student numbers. I don't have much else to say about that. I just think that's absolutely hilarious. Again, I can't attest if anything he said was true or not, but I can say that I find it absolutely funny as all hell. So that being said, the other quite, the other fascinating thing that happened at UNE in terms of a uh, professional point of view, in terms of a staff point of view, the Council of UNE actually stated they would be unwilling to charge fees for degrees for people doing second degrees after their first undergraduate and would, refu- and would refuse to administer a loan scheme for undergraduate students at all. This resolution was actually a direct rejection of the fee recommendation of the Cabinet Review of the Commonwealth Function. Essentially, UNE pretty much told the government to stick their idea, which I think is wonderful. This was in line with the same decision made by the University of Adelaide the previous month. In a way, I'm actually quite proud that UNE would try and 
not charge their students exorbitant fees. That's actually quite nice to think about. Nonetheless, let's keep the music going now. I hope that you enjoyed those two UNE facts. I've got one more coming up a bit later. But for now, I'm going to play a song by an incredibly successful band, Journey. They've also um, they released inc- many, many, I think it's over 25 gold and platinum albums. They were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They have done it all in their career. They are an incredible band, and they have a song that is instantly recognisable upon the first hit. You're going to hear the keyboards. You're going to know what I'm talking about. One of the most recognisable anthems of all time here is Don't Stop Believing by Journey, who will appear again on this show. This is episode 12 of Way Back When. You're listening to Chino Fam on 106.9.
That was The Immortal Don't Stop Believing by Journey. This is way back when, episode 12 on Tune FM 106.9. We've got a few more songs to play tonight. I was going to play a little bit of ACDC. Of course, there's only one song from ACDC that made it this year. Of course, we played uh, five songs from Back in Black, their smash hit last week, which was incredible, an incredible, credible album. If you want to re-listen to that episode, you can do so. Our podcast, uh, This show has been podcasted. Just search in Spotify, Tune FM, way back when, and it will come up. So in 1981, ACDC would release their follow-up album to Back in Black, and it was called For Those About to Rock, We Salute You. It sold over 4 million copies in the US, it was their first number one album in the US, and Rolling Stone magazine would declare it to be their best album at the time. It's got a lot of incredible songs, um, none really stand out besides the title track, but it's still a very, very good song. Our reception was a bit mixed, actually, fairly positive, but certainly a lot of people that had a little bit of issues with it. It had a major drop-off in sales, but that was to be expected, given that Back in Black sold 25 times platinum. It was, you know, absolutely insane. But still, all of the songs on this album are quite good. Evil Walks, Breaking the Rules, Let's Get It Up, Snowball, just to name a few. They're all incredible. The one that I'm going to play tonight, however, for those about to rock, we salute you, is absolutely remarkable. It is an incredible song. It's actually their Show closer. Most concerts, if not all concerts since, have actually used this song as the very, very last song that they play because they shoot off cannons during the um they shoot off cannons during the chorus of this song. When they first came up with that idea as a prop, they had to lug a one hundred thousand pound um, a one hundred thousand dollar costing uh, prop across borders, and because it was a giant cannon, uh, it they reportedly had a few quote interesting run-ins, which I just find absolutely hilarious. But the song itself is absolutely incredible. You won't hear the cannon shots in this, unfortunately, but you will hear an incredible ACDC song, one of their best songs, especially over the in the eighties, one of their best songs in the eighties. They're about to hit a bit of a rough patch. So this will probably be the last ACDC song that I play for a while. So please enjoy it. For those about to rock, we salute you by ACDC. This is episode 12 of Way Back When.
You just heard For Those About to Rock by ACDC, and this is way back when, episode 12. I'm sorry, did I say that you wouldn't hear the chorus? Are the cannons in the chorus of that song? I lied. I really didn't want to give the game away, so I'm sorry. I tried to lead you down the wrong path. The cannons were in fact used, and where they came from is a fascinating story. Angus Young was quoted as saying that when they were cutting the song, the first recording of the song, someone was actually playing the wedding of Princess Diana that was televised in Britain at the same time in the the room next to them. And when they were listening to the chorus, the cannons from the ceremony were being fired. The band paused, thought to themselves, That actually sounds really good, and decided to include a cannon sound. So in a weird sort of way, we can thank Princess Diana for helping write For Those About to Rock by ACDC. I think that's wonderful. Thank you, Princess Diana. Rest in peace. Another interesting UNE fact coming up next, we have a rather, I think it's one of the more uh, wholesome uh, facts of UNE that I've discussed on this show. A group of UNE students managed to raise over $75,000 for charity, and keep in mind that is 1981 money, so it would be worth a lot more nowadays. They ran a charity marathon. This marathon was no small feat. It was 5,000 kilometres long. It started south of Melbourne and ended north of Cairns. The 35 students from UNE would split the run in half. Half started from the north, half started from the south, and they completed their portion of the run by meeting at UNE. UNE was the halfway point, and that was the conclusion of the run. It was, at the time, the longest charity run attempted, took 23 days to complete, and again, raised over $75,000 for charity. I was unable to find names of the people that took part, but if any of them or any of their families are listening, I salute you. That was incredible, and uh, you are very, very generous people, and I'm... Thank you for doing such a very good thing for Australian charities. Now, moving on to another fairly young star, but one that would blow up in the years to come. We go back to Joan Jett, who I played last week with her song Bad Reputation. This is a song that she would actually release under the moniker Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. After her first album was released the previous year, she was told by those close to her to keep going solo, that she wouldn't be able to support herself and a band, and that she would be able to make it on her own. She disagreed, she ignored them, and she formed a band called the Blackhearts. Now, the Blackhearts have actually had quite a few ex-members over the years. They seem to have swapped out band members quite frequently and regularly. But nonetheless, she would form a band and they would cover a song originally written and performed by the Arrows, I Love Rock and Roll. It was the single and it was the title track of their album, Joan Jett and the Blackhearts I'm referring to here, I Love Rock and Roll, released in 1981. It's incredibly catchy. It's incredibly recognisable. It is not the last time they will be featured on this show because they were incredible. I love Joan Jett's voice. I think she's an incredible rock star. And this song just demonstrates that. I Love Rock and Roll by Joan Jett and the Blackhearts coming up next on Way Back When, Episode 12. This is Tune FM 106.9. Where we can be alone The next 
That was the incredibly catchy I Love Rock and Roll by the amazing Joan Chet and the Blackhearts. This is way back when, episode 12, you've been listening to Tune FM on 106.9. Well, we've come to the end of the show. There is one song left to play, and the moment I saw that this song came out in 1981, I knew I was going to play it last because it is one of my favourite non-Nightwish, non-Sabaton songs of all time. It is that good of a song. It has actually been regarded as one of the best songs of all time by different critics, one of Queen's most powerful songs. Yes, it's a Queen song. Um, So to give a bit of background, Queen would release in 1982 an album called Hot Space. One of their most disappointing albums from a critical standpoint, a lot of their fans actually disliked the album as well because of its disco sound. It relied a lot on synthesizers, disco-y elements, funk elements. There wasn't really so much of the traditional rock that Queen were used to that Queen used to put out, and that actually led a lot of people to be quite angry with the album. So it didn't exactly it was not well received by critics or fans, even though Michael Jackson would claim that it be, would become an influence for his album Thriller, as he was actually close friends with Queen. There was one song on the album that saved it, and it was actually released the year before it was originally just released as a standalone single before the band decided to include it on the album which actually saved the album from being a commercial failure that song originally released in tw- on the 26th of october 1981 is in my opinion queen's best song and it's right up there as one of david bowie's best songs that's right released in 1981 the show closer for tonight is going to be under pressure It's been described as a monster rock track that absolutely blew the rest of the album away. It has been listed as one of the best Queen songs ever, one of the best Bowie songs ever, one of the best rock and pop, poppy sort of sounding songs of all time. It is just that good. Interestingly enough, when it comes to elements of the song, the bass line, the drum beat, the lyrics, it's actually not entirely known 100% who did what, because even though all of Queen and David Bowie were credited as songwriters and producers, 
Each of them tried to give the other credit. Each of them would try and, for example, um, uh, John Deacon would say that the song's musical songwriter was Freddie Mercury. However, it, um, Brian May would say that David Bowie was the lyricist. Freddie and David were both apparently argue, um, having a bit of a friendly fight over how it should be mixed. Uh, it's everyone try, Everyone's trying to give credit to elements of the song to each other. I'm assuming that's out of modesty because the, the song is incredible. If you haven't heard it, you're in for a treat in a few minutes. It is absolutely remarkable. I, I'd stand by my opinion. The best Queen song of all time beats everything. It's received critical acclaim since it was released. One of the um, many, many different critics and magazines have listed it in the top 10 songs of the 80s. It's just absolutely remarkable. It's been on all of Queen's greatest hits compilations. It's been on several David Bowie compilations. There's not really much else to say about it. It's absolutely phenomenal, and I cannot wait to hear it again. I get chills every time I hear it. It's genuinely emotional. I have not heaped up this much praise on a song before on this show because I genuinely think this is one of the best, in terms of lyrics and in terms of music as a feeling and using music to try and get an emotion across, I think this is one of the best written songs of all time. So with that being said, I'm going to bid you all a very good night. I hope that you have a phenomenal weekend. Of course, it's pretty much over now, but still, I hope tomorrow is wonderful for you. I hope you have an amazing week. Please join me next time. Next time, uh, same time next week, 7 o'clock on Saturday, as I'll be looking back at the best music from 1982 during episode 13. Great music in 1982 as well, including one of the best classical rock operas of all time. No spoilers. But this is the end of the show. I bid you good night. I hope you sleep well. It's been an absolute pleasure as always. And finally, to close out the show, please enjoy Under Pressure by David Bowie and Queen. I hope you have an amazing night. This has been episode 12 of Way Back When. You're listening to Tune FM here on 106.9. Good night, folks.
coming up with love, but it's so slashed and torn. Shut